0: Into sports. 20 yards out, urge
1: to shoot. Dungeon! Oh my god, for Fabinho! Wow!
0: And get into the all new OTB sports app. I think when he apologises to me, I probably will say hello to him. Yeah, no. Videos, sports news, live scores, interviews. If Abrogas is going to come up to me in the street and give me some of a mouth that he would have given me on a football pitch, what do? we doing? Get a slap. Plus, exclusive content on the OTB Podcast Network. The biggest names in sports, ready when you are. Search OTB Sports on your App Store and download it now. The OTB Podcast Network with Green Farm on the go. Snack smart with 100 natural protein-powered chicken bites. <laughs> Oh the shape that or care. you get all the fans down. Can we not knock
1: it? It's a fact. I'm not playing mind games. I'm talking about facts. I always said if I was Aladiccio, they'd probably
0: say I was more
2: of a tactical genius. Should I answer questions on anything. Right? Religious, politics, uh, health, <laughs> you know, sexual uh, problems. Look at his face!
0: Just look at his face! None of you except for those two have done anything to justify the money that you earn. None of you! Disgrace! And I suggest you shut
2: up and show more football.
1: Now then, welcome along to Team 33, the football culture show here on Off The Ball. Thanks for joining me on this Friday evening. Coming up later on in the show, I'll be chatting about Robin Friday, the legendary Reading footballer who took the world by storm in his short-lived Footballing career. But first, we're turning to a story with some sensitive material in it. So if you're listening on the radio and you have a younger person with you, now might be a good time to switch over. We're talking about Yves Jean Bart, the former Haitian football president who has been banned for life. From football for numerous sexual abuse allegations during his tenure i should also say from the get go that he has not been convicted of these crimes and they are all allegations that we are discussing to discuss this further i'm joined by guardian deputy news editor ed aaron's on the line ed thanks for joining me hi how are you so this all came about essentially FIFA have banned Jean Bart for life from football and their investigation came from a Guardian investigation into Jean Bart as well. So can you just talk us through the timeline of the story? When did you first come to hear about Jean Bart and the allegations against him?
2: Well, uh, yeah, it was about um, about a year ago. So around well, it was the, the start of March, I think was the first made aware of um, the allegations Um and it took it took quite a while to, to get the, the first story published, just just because of the number of different sources that we had, and obviously the the, the legal questions that we had to um, that we had to uh, satisfy. So yeah, it, it took quite a few quite a few weeks of, of, of work, um, and also you know liaising with FIFA, and uh, who at first were I have to admit were quite slow to to act on anything, but um, once. You know, a lot of the uh, a lot of the alleged victims started to come forward. Um, it was uh, you know it, it was quite a difficult process as you can imagine. But yeah, by the end of April, we managed to get the first story published, um, which uh, so it was about six weeks' work in total.
1: So before we get into the actual details of the report and the allegations being made against him, who is Yves Jan-Bart? Can you give us some background on him and when he came to uh, become president of the Haitian Football Association and what his background is?
2: Sure, yeah. So he's a, he's a former journalist uh, in Haiti and he was um, very respected. And he was on the, on the radio and in newspapers. Uh, and and I, I believe that's where he, he first came uh, to be known as the, by, by his nickname, Dadu. Um, which is, uh, so, and, and that was in, in the sort of 1970s. And then uh, in, in the, the 90s, he kind of rose up through the ranks of Haitian football, uh, became a vice president. And then in 2000, he was elected uh, as president. Um, and um, he has served for, well, 20 years until he was he was banned by FIFA. Um, and it, it was actually a, around a year ago, at the end of, I think it was at the start of February that he was... Re-elected for the sixth time, which uh, you know we we mentioned in our first story that you know FIFA's statutes recommend that uh, federation heads are only allowed to serve three terms, for you know so it's not you know dominated by one person potentially, mm-hmm. um, but it's not something that they can enforce, and that's what FIFA said to us in the, the reply. So that was that was one of the you know one of the several allegations that have been made against him. You know that one obviously is was easy to prove because he had. He had been there for for 20 years and it was it was uh, he really had dominated the the sport in the country for for two decades
1: yeah and there are several accounts of presidents overstaying their welcome at different in different football associations and overreaching power essentially in Ireland were we're, we're not uh, any different here because John Delaney our CEO was in charge and he very much had Overreaching power over anything and veto power on on any decisions made, is that the sort of leader that Jean Bart was as well? That he was very much the most powerful man when it came to football in in Haiti.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It was. Uh, I mean, it was alleged that uh, you know a lot of the any any decision that was made in Haiti was kind of had to go had to go through him, and you know he really he really was quite a was quite a, a strong leader in that respect, and also. Within FIFA, he was uh, uh, briefly he was chairman of the Caribbean Football Union, uh, and he was highly regarded within FIFA as well. Within you know, uh, he was he'd been one of the most experienced members of FIFA. You know, given how long he'd been um, in in his role, he was you know highly highly respected and and you know had really gained a, a reputation for being uh, the main man in Haiti for for two decades.
1: So, again, before we get into the actual detail of what he's been accused of here, I should say that he has denied all wrongdoing up to this point and he has not been convicted criminally of these uh, accusations. So, Ed, let's get into it then. What exactly is it that he has been accused of doing?
2: Well, he was accused of, of sexually abusing um, young female footballers at the Haiti's National Training Centre, which is uh, well, no, it's known locally as uh, the ranch, Because it's actually it's got quite an interesting history. The building itself, it it was formerly owned by the uh, by Baby Doc, the former uh, uh, dictator of Haiti, and he actually got married there. But yeah, so this this facility, which is in de Bouquet, which is just outside the capital, Port-au-Prince, it uh, it is it's housed hundreds or a couple of hundred of football players for the last. Well, it's been around for about uh, nearly nearly. As long as John Bart's, it was 2003 that it was set up, um, and initially it was quite a low, low grade facility. But then after the earthquake in in, uh, in 2010, there was quite a lot of money was was poured into Haiti, and most of it was used at the, the Centre Technique Nationale to give it its official name. Um, and it was there that these uh, alleged uh, sexual abuses took place. Um, we had. In our first story we had uh three alleged victims who who told us how the system sort of worked there and it was allegedly that um a, a lady who works at the at the center who is uh, also currently suspended by FIFA would would put pressure on the girls to have sex with with john bart and uh and there was other allegations that um, you know similar sort of stories that uh, the, the striking thing about them was that they all they all tallied up, and they were all you know it, it took us a long time to to get the to get the uh the victims to come forward um and you know be be willing to speak but um it was it was quite shocking really when we when we put it all together and saw you know that there was a there was a, a consistent um line of of abuse that that carried on for for several years
1: so one thing that's mentioned in your report and in the Faith Pro report as well is coercion and that the, the, the players, the individuals that are alleging this were coerced into having sex with Jean Bart. Do we know what sort of coercion that was? Was it physical? Was it mental? Was it threat of expulsion from the ranch? Or what was the coercion that is... Well,
2: yeah, op- often it was to do with uh, you know a lot of the, a lot of the girls uh, and, and boys as well, the young players who were there at the centre are not from very, uh, they're from quite vulnerable backgrounds. And some of them, you know, some of them are orphans. And um, a lot of them, you know, the being at the ranch is their opportunity to to make something of their lives. And also, you know, just to have, simply to have somewhere to, to, to live. Um, and um, a lot of them have alleged that, you know, they, they were threatened with, yeah, being kicked out if they didn't do what they want or, you know, they wouldn't make a career unless, they they ceded to what they were asked to do, and also the the the, the other major allegation that was made was that um, some of their passports were were taken away, which was obviously a vital part of them becoming international footballers potentially. Um, and and so some of them claim that you know that their, their passports were taken away and they were essentially held hostages um, in Haiti and, and their careers were ruined.
1: And. One of the alleged victims in your report on the Guardian is a, a girl who claimed that she was forced to have sex with Jean-Bart and then forced to have an abortion. Post that, can you tell us a little bit about her?
2: Yeah, well, there's 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 several allegations of, of, of abortion, and in FIFA's FIFA's report, um, it mentions that you know it it found a lot of evidence that, that there was. That there was um, uh, there were abortions that took place. I mean, I don't really want to go into specifics about individuals. Yeah, yeah. there. I mean, the other thing to say about this is also we're out of some of the follow-up stories. I think the next story that we did, which, which was a couple of weeks later, was that um, some of the some of the people that had spoken to us had been had been threatened, or their families had been threatened in Haiti. Um, and it, so this is a really live situation, and it still is actually. You know, it's still. Very dangerous. There's people who are, are literally scared for their lives. That you know they're going to be tracked down um, because because they've spoken out.
1: Yeah, and again, we've mentioned already that a lot of this is still up in the air, and there there still is an investigation into Jean Bart criminally. So, since the initial story you mentioned, the Fifth Pro report there it, it came out last week, and and their investigation into Jean Bart. Can you tell us a little bit about their findings? I know one of them is definitely that. There are several other people involved as well as Jean Bart. So, do we know who those people are? Are they still involved in football? Or what did this FIFA Pro uh, report find?
2: Okay, so just to clear it up, it's a bit confusing, but the, yeah, the FIF there was a FIFA Pro report, which was which formed part of FIFA's you know ethics committee's investigation, and that was part of the overall evidence. And yeah, in the in the FIFA Pro report. Um, There was 34 alleged victims came forward, but not just of Jean Bart, but from Jean Bart. 14 of those were alleged victims of Jean Bart himself, and yeah, so the other 20 were alleged victims of other people. And I think there were yeah, so it was it was 10 potential perpetrators and accomplices. And as for what's happened to those people, there are some people under investigation, um, and due to be well, in fact, yeah, I mentioned one before, and, and there's another one. Who is uh, under investigation at the moment? Sorry, who is who is suspended at the moment, and we're just awaiting the the verdict on them. And and there are a few more who I believe are being investigated as well. So yeah, I mean that is kind of the next the next chapter uh, I think in this. That you know, at the moment in Haiti, they've um, they, the FIFA have just installed a, a normalisation committee as they call it, and I'm hearing in the last couple of days we're finding out some of the details about who's going to be involved in in that. Um, and I'm sure that, you know, that one of the first things that, that that's going to want to do, uh, you know, with with FIFA obviously involved is to try and track down the uh, the other people that, that are potentially involved.
1: Mm-hmm. And in terms of the alleged victims, is there any, any, any indication into what FIFA are going to the, do, do for them? Are they investigating them further? Is there going to be repercussions or even some sort of remunerations for the, the victims here?
2: Yeah, well, I think, well, I don't think FIFA themselves are going to do much, but I think, I mean, there was talk of kind of some sort of compensation lawsuit potentially, I don't know. But I think that's, that's kind of a long way down down the track still, I think, because there's a lot of other things to, to get through first. It's been such a revelation. I think, you know, FIFA's, um, the, the FIFA report that we mentioned before described it as, you know, unprecedented, he said John Barr committed acts of unprecedented gravity. And that his behavior had been simply inexcusable um and a disgrace so uh, it's really still sending shockwaves through not just the the, the the sport I think but the whole country it's really really become a massive a massive story over there i mean also in Jean Bart's um closing oral statement to FIFA's ethics committee panel he said in Haiti there is no culture of rape or of sexual abuse so it was it was an interesting argument for him for him to make and you know, I wasn't surprised to see the you know, given that kind of argument that they found against him.
1: Yeah, it's it's an incredible story in many ways, and it's one of those lingering doubts in football is are our children safe while they're playing football, while they're in the hands of these strangers? And we saw with the likes of Barry Panel that this isn't just focused only in, in Haiti. This 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 has happened all throughout the world in many different places as well. So, in terms of what happens next, then will there be a follow up criminal investigation into jean bart is that happening already or where do we go from here
2: yeah so uh, i mean a, a couple of days before the uh, the fifa verdicts in november it was um the haitian justice system actually cleared jean bart of of all uh, of all the allegations although it was kind of a weird a weird situation because they never charged him with anything so it was you know unusual for somebody to be cleared of something when they hadn't been charged but since then, under pressure, a lot of um, obviously since, since FIFA's decision, and, and under a lot of pressure from several um, people and, and, and institutions, including this, the, the US embassy in, in Haiti, which actually tweeted about the uh, that they wanted to see the the investigation reopened uh, into him, in which it, which has happened since then. Um, but the question mark is actually whereabouts he is as well, because there's lots of reports that he's not in Haiti anymore. Um, and uh, whether he'll be able to, well, be able to come back and potentially, you know, face a court case, we don't know what's going to happen about that yet.
1: Well, we'll be following it closely here in off the ball and team thirty three as well. Ed Arnes, uh, Guardian deputy news editor, thanks for joining me today.
2: Thanks a lot.
1: Team thirty three. This
0: is OTB Sports Radio.
1: Now it's not too often that somebody who had a career spanning just four years will have a book written about him and that he'll still be talked about 50 years later, but such was the extraordinary talent of the man we're talking about now. He was voted Reading's best ever player on three different o- occasions and once famously kicked Mark Lawrenson in the face. We're talking about the man who did not give a damn, and I may have changed a word in there for radio reasons. We're talking about Robin Friday. To do so, I'm joined on the line by Stuart Kane, a novelist, researcher, and author of two books off uh, about Robin Friday, Man Friday First and Second Half. Stuart, thanks very much for joining me today.
0: No, it's uh, lovely, lovely to be here, Ender. Thank you.
1: So firstly, before we actually get started and get stuck into Robin Friday's career and life as well, I'm always interested into why people write books about these players and about especially someone like Robin Friday, whose career was so short. What drew, drew you to the story of Robin Friday?
0: I think, I, I, I mean, it was a number of things. I think a friend of mine, a good friend of mine handed me the the first book, the original book from 97 and said, have a read of this. Um, And I played a bit of football myself when I was, I was younger. And I read this book and I thought I loved it. I was really interested in it, but I had questions um, about it. And then I was doing a course um, and I had to write a short story and I was panicking and I was thinking, what do I do? Um, And then Uh, the tutor at the time held up this book and it was a Damned United by David Peace. And I was like, Oh, okay. And a good friend of mine, Matt, who'd the one that had recommended me the, the, the first book, um, I got a phone call from a friend saying that, that Matt had died. um, 30, 30, 39 years old um, in very similar circumstances to Robin Friday. And at the time, and I thought, okay, so I picked up, I bought the, the the first book again, and I thought, I read it through, had the dungeon United, and I thought, do you know what, what about exploring, you know, Robin Friday's life? And it just grew, it just grew from there. And, and I think there's, I think the intrigue is, you know, why did it go the way um, it went? And I wanted to know if he really was, um, really was as good as, as 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 they say. And I think, also, it's it's those things with, with with this guy that were ahead of his time um, with with what he was doing, sort of on the pitch and off 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 the pitch. Um, and I've played with that in the in in the story. I mean, I, I stick. I try not to move too close from the from the facts. Um, I've probably broken a lot of rules in that I, you know, I play with the games that he played um, and have that. And and very early on, I mean, you'd you'd think that somebody like uh, sort of Robin wouldn't have um, the sort of um, a, not a ceremony before the game, but a, a kind of cer- doing things in a certain set way. He'd think, oh, no, "Well, this guy wouldn't be like that." And very early on, when I started to write this short story, before I'd done any really deep research, had that he had this little um, list of things that he sort of did before a game. And I found out later that that he did do this thing. He used to go around before every single game. He would go around. He would touch the whole team. It was this good luck thing that that he had. And he would go around. Come on, lads! And he'd, he'd go and touch each and every every one of them, and making sure that things were just right. And then he'd amble out onto the pitch and uh, and, and and play the way that he played. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, I think, it's very much a game of. He, or his life, if you if you like, I've done it in two halves simply because I mean, who's you know who who wants a big tome that Man Friday that's 170,000 words long? So it's the first half is his rocky road to the top um, with Charlie Hurley and, and Eamon Dunphy um, in there, and he has a bit of a double act going with with Charlie Hurley and Charlie Hurley having to 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 control him um, and keep tabs on him and you know treat him with kid gloves. Uh, and then the second half is you know about when things started to to change and and why they changed. really Mm. Um, I don't think that's any secret Um,
1: yeah I, I, I think when I prepare for these interviews and when we're talking about someone from the 70s 80s 90s generally the first thing I do is go onto YouTube and watch loads of highlights and go down a rabbit hole of their career and you don't have that footage of Robin Friday and that's something that adds to the myth of him but also it's i I read a piece that was on i think it was these football times that called him the the greatest footballer you've never seen and that's sort of the feeling you definitely get from him but there's so much more to him as well and i think he was described as um if george best in his biography if george best was the first pop star of football he was the first rock star of football. So, there's a lot to this man's story. So, let's start from the very beginning. What was his upbringing like? He grew up in 1950s England, so working class, I presume, and yeah. probably a tough, tough enough upbringing.
0: A, t- a, t- a tough, a state, and he hang, he, you know, he his his friends, quite a few of whom were were a bit older than him. Um, he hung around with them. It was a rough state, but I mean. In comparison, he was probably nothing um, compared um, to, to to them. But he ended up obviously in um, in Feltham Borstal, um, you know, and at Feltham he was in the in the wing for for those that had uh, substance abuse um, problems. And then from from there, um, Reading had a look at him when he was at Feltham, right right back then. Um, he played a few games for them, but the, the manager there at the time was prior to, it uh, was Jack Mansell, I think, um, prior to uh, Charlie Hurley, didn't fancy him, you know, probably because of of, of what was going on. Um, and um, I go into, you know, I go into his home life a, a little bit and I grow him up in the book quite quickly because mm-hmm. I think when you're from that background, um, you do have to go grow up quickly to survive. You know, he was a you know he got viewed by a lot of people because you know football can be a judge judgmental um place um he got viewed as 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 a lout um a lot of the time by by some people and he wasn't necessarily that that way sure he had his 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 moments but he had to grow up quickly you know in order to survive um but you know there he was, Feltham, and then he was, you know, married with a with a, with a child at at, at seventeen. Um, his father uh, didn't go to 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 the wedding to his to his first uh, wedding. Um, mm-hmm. He married a, a, a black girl, Maxine. So that there are, you know, I have that's there in his in in his background, and it's going to have an impact. Um, what I've tried to essentially do is kind of go right in there and take the reader into his mind if you like i'm not saying i'm rob i'm robin friday i'm not but you know it's i, I think it, it's if i could put it to the reader that you know we're happy to go and watch a biopic at the cinema and have uh robert de niro play uh you know uh, marciano or, or whatever in in raging bull and and essentially that's method acting well kind of what i've done here is it's it's method writing i've gone right in there and i've you know i've looked at everything and i've i've been sympathetic and i've i've tried to be as much as pos- possible i've tried to be ob- objective because with somebody like robin friday it kind of can be quite easy to be you know i never i don't want it it's not fan fiction it's definitely mm. not that i'm trying to be um, objective um but he's such a mesmeric character and have there's the music going on with him, you know, he's, he's interested in the, in the, rock music and, you know, going out and, 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 and doing this. And some people said, you know, did he ever really want to be a footballer? Well, he definitely did but, and he, and he fought hard for it, for, for it. There was the obviously the accident when he was 21, when he was up on the rooftop and he slipped and he um, impaled himself on a, on on a stake now many say that it was that singular moment that changed robin forever and that he would live you know each day as if it was his last but Mm -hmm. he was already getting into a fair bit of trouble sort of prior um to 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 that so he'd got into a a sort of way way of way of living i think and it was it was hard to shake that off
1: yeah like when i was reading about him it was very much. I almost had this image in my head where it was 1960s. I could almost hear the music going on in the background, and the sort of counterculture attitude. It, he almost, if if he if he was a movie, it would be about the countercultural uh, hippie Definitely. movement with uh, the Rolling Stones in the background and loads of like free love, all that kind of stuff going on, and that. That's sort of the image I get off him, even though like there's not that much footage off him at all. In terms of his narcotics, use, because that's something that does yeah. come up later on in his career. Do you get the feel- feeling that in his teens that this was almost uh, a coping mechanism, or do you think that it was just off his time and LSD was the thing then, and that's what he did?
0: I mean, it, it was it, it was it was LSD, and it was it was harder than that too. Um, you know, he he didn't, he didn't, he didn't mess about. Um, was it a coping mechanism? I think with, with that sort of thing, when you first start playing around with that, it's a bit of fun and you go out, Robin Friday had a lot of fun. He did have a lot of fun. But then after that, it becomes something different and it obviously became very different for, for Robin and goes the way that it tends to go and it, you know, with the, with, with the sad ending and i think that was something that was always there in the in the background sure he liked to you know he liked to drink but he you know there was the drugs there as well and he kind of you know he he kind of walked had the gateway and then he climbed he climbed up through the through the ranks of narcotics um now without giving too much away um, I do go into into that in the in in the book and when you talk about the counterculture counter I kind of play with that in the book I've got him with the you know his Led Zeppelin records and, and things like that and he loved he absolutely loved his favorite was uh, was Janis Joplin and I kind of play with the Janis Joplin thing because she went her her death was very similar to 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 his mm. you know the, the the way that it went sadly, and I play with that. I kind of have him having conversations with Janis Joplin in these kind of um, drug, you know, this drug induced um, this, this this state, and so she's kind of in it, and he's having these these chats with her, and it is it is it's ultimately it was his way of escaping and not having and not wanting to to deal with the the things that he was having to deal with. There was a not a lot. Uh, going on there was stuff going on with his brother um outside of of the football that would have been hard to cope with um, you know um married three times before before he was thirty i mean that's that's some going
1: mm-hmm. uh, let's talk about his football then because I think yeah. we have enough context there in terms of who he was and what he did because there like i said there is very little footage of this guy maybe two or three clips that you might be able to show somebody on youtube but there's there's very little because he played in the third division and because it was the 70s um so what 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 was his style of play
0: his style of play was i mean he's amon dunphy called him a called him a warrior and I, and i think that, that's that's what he was so he was a he was a center forward who would get back and fight um for the for the ball um, the, uh, the 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 Reading FC historian uh, David Downs um, said that it was almost a case of Robin, particularly when he was at Reading, of him standing there and saying, "Here, give me the ball, and I'll do something with it," and he disappear out on, on, onto the wing. I think, in terms of, of of whatever instructions were given to him by Charlie Hurley or Jimmy Andrews at Cardiff City. They went out the window. He he did what he wanted um, to, to do. Um, and obviously, football now is very different to how it back it, it was back then in the in the 60s and 70s, but obviously, particularly the 70s. Um, and center, center halves would come into you, smash into you. Robin stood his ground, but also, you know, let's not shy away from it. He gave it out. Um, there's, there's one particular um, story that I, I have in the book. It's in in the second half, and what he'd done in in, in a game against Sheffield United, he'd uh, he had his he had he suffered from asthma, and he put his inhaler. He had him it had it in a wooden box, and he popped it into his into his wrist. And every time a ball came over, he'd he'd jump up, and there was a pop. And the, the players were going, well, "What's that?" And it was rock, and he was hitting them with this, um, with this box. And so every time they went up, there was this, this wallop and this, this, this popping sound, to which the the Sheffield United uh, the captain was like, "What's going on here? Tell him to calm down. What, you know? What's what's going on?" And 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 you know, so he did have that side to him as well. Mm-hmm. But as a as a as a player, his his ability. You know, they talk about this goal that he scored against Tramir, the one that, you know, 3 million people have seen, um, but there was only, what, 10,900 in the crowd. <laughs> um And they said, you know, on a training pitch, he could do that. The, the likes to the people that I've uh, spoken to, um, David Joss, um, John Buchanan would just say he was, and they all say to, to a T, he was a bit like George Best in that he could just do what he wanted to do with this ball, but, What they said, uh, Gilo, David Giles said, you know, to look at him, you'd look at him with these, he was pigeon-toed, really bowed legs. Um, He didn't look like um, a footballer and the way he moved, but somehow he just had this way of moving and the ball would, would almost like um, would stick to him. He could just, if the ball's up, up there, seven feet in the air, he can, he can get up to it and he can bring it down or it's, you know, it's skied up into the air. He can, you know, control it on a, on, on a two pence piece. It's, it's, it's the way, you know, playing the ball off the outside of his foot, apparently that because they say the way that he was pigeon toed, the way that he struck the ball, gave it that extra spin, which would often sort of confuse the, the goalies and would give him these, these sort of magnificent goals, but he enjoyed, scoring as much as he enjoyed setting it up for, you know, for teammates, he'd go in there and take the flack. Um, he, I think if you've got a guy that I think he was five ten, um and he'd get in there very early on in a game, make himself known. And once you've done that people off quite often wouldn't want to go near him again, whether it was a kiss or a pinch or, you know, what have you. Um So, yeah you know technically his ability was was up there um his pace wasn't the best in mm-hmm. in in the world and that was that was simply to do with 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 his um physical attributes should we say with it with his legs and things um but in terms of putting the ball about and and passes and his vision um it was his vision. People would say that he was three or four steps ahead of everybody else. And he was quite well known for having a go at the other players saying, you know, why are you doing that? Why aren't we doing this? So, you know, he um, he, he was a, a very intelligent footballer. One thing that sometimes said his positional play wasn't the best because it was a case of the manager would say, I want you there when we're doing this at a free kick, go and do this. But he wouldn't do that. He had yeah. his own way of, of doing that. So,
1: yeah, he was a big man as well. So he could, get, he could throw himself about if he wanted to. One thing that interests me there is that often when you're talking about the best players like George Bass, Johan Cruyff, these players, people always think it's their talent with the ball and what they can make the ball do. But often it is that they can make decisions a lot quicker in their head and see things a lot faster than other players. And that's something that's always said about Lionel Messi, that he is about 10 seconds ahead of everyone else. In terms of his ceiling and where he could have gone this is for context this is 1970 so the third division isn't actually that outreachable to the the first division the likes of Leeds went from the second division up and won the league the the following year so in terms of his raw natural ability apart from the off-field stuff that's going on do you get the feeling that he was good enough to play probably first division football
0: I do and and i really do um but if i can if i can put that into context as as well things would have to have have changed for in order for that to happen Mm -hmm. um i mean if i if i just read a quote of 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 robbins and this is him sort of setting this was it taken from february 1974 and uh in an interview and he says i reckon i've got 12 years in football from now after that I can't think that far ahead. I suppose like everybody else, my ambition must be to play for a first division club. If you don't think like that, there wouldn't be any point in being in the game. And if I can, you know, that's his—that's what he wanted. But also if I can qualify that. Um, Jimmy Andrews, um, you know, knew a lot about football. And he said that uh, Robin Friday was a player that was quite often in the, in. he said, in the international class. Now, there were Welsh internationals at um, at, at Cardiff at, at, at the time, and if if I can if I can steal a, 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 another quote from a, a player, Jack Witham, who plays for he played for um, Liverpool, played for Cardiff City, and played with with Robin at Reading, and Jimmy Andrews phoned him prior to uh, signing Robbie for for Cardiff uh, City, and he said, "What what about this player? What about Robin Friday?" and he said. On ability alone, Liverpool Football Club should sign um, should sign Robin Friday. But with everything else, if Cardiff City signed him, they, they'd mm-hmm. regret it within a year. And sadly, that, that was the case. Uh, Jimmy said, and few, uh, quite a few of the other lads said, if somebody have, would have got hold of, of Robin at 15 or 16 and, and taken him under their wing and looked after him and kept him away, from from certain influences on on his life then then that would have that would have changed he could have been a first division footballer they talk about i mean people say he could have been an england international well there was a lot going on with the england mm-hmm. team at the time and taking into account robin's pace you've got to think about that but ability if it's about ability he you know he had it all could they have found a role for him for him from him for him perhaps um but yeah he could have played first of first division football no doubt ability wise and that's coming from a from a lot of different people Mm -hmm. um, who played at at the top as well but yeah so it's it's that discipline he didn't have the discipline
1: yeah Yeah, so that's that's liverpool european cup winners multiple times in the 70s as well so you're talking top of the top let's talk about the the sidetracks then and what was distracting him from football and why he didn't make it to the the higher higher level. What is going on with him during his career at Reading and even in Cardiff as well? The Cardiff move seemed to be a disaster for everybody.
0: Yeah, it, it did. I mean, things things was started. I mean, go, going right back, he got into a certain way of of living, and that that was going that was going out, and essentially, uh, you know, living like a you know a nineteen seventies rock star. Um, who was earning fifty quid a week when he was at, at, at Reading? So you've got you've got that going on. You've got things happening to his 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 brother legally with the police and stuff off off the pitch. You've got Robin getting into trouble off 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 the pitch um, as well. Nights out in in Reading and and things. Um, the drugs obviously play play a part to 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 mask it um, if 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 you like, and then you know the girlfriends and, and and what was, go what was going on there. I think he tried to do too much too, too soon. Um, with, you know, with, with the drugs, it's, that's, that's, that's a driver really. Um, in terms of physically, he was a very, very strong character. You got to think he was asthmatic as well. And then mm. he's doing all this stuff. Um, on, you know, on the side, which, as I said before, it's fun to start with. And then once you go in that, you're going into dark places. Um, and if you haven't been in those places, it's, it's very difficult to, to, I think, to understand it. Um, and he definitely went there. Um, there was all sorts going on. Um, you know, he had his first daughter, second daughter. Um, the move to Cardiff was, um, like you say, it went wrong. It went wrong for only everybody. Cardiff uh, was and is a very proud uh, football club, um, and they had certain expectations. Um, obviously, Robin turned up on his first day to sign there and got um, nicked by um, by the, the British Transport Police, and it kind of went downhill from from there. Um, yeah, I, I think he he just spread himself too, too, too thinly. I think you can't, you can do it for a certain while and he did, which is why his career, but you know, kind of, it was like a meteor really. Mm-hmm. Um, and which is, which is why he went that way. He did. I mean, he say, you know, he walked out in Cardiff on the 20th of December, 77, but actually, and I talk about it in the book, he actually went back to to speak to Jimmy Andrews to try and get back in because he changed his mind, which again, goes against that, or, you know, the guy didn't care. Now, obviously mm-hmm. there were times he didn't care, um, but he definitely did. And I, and I think I talk about that in the book. I, I mean, I definitely do in that you don't do the things that he did to himself if you if you didn't care. Obviously he didn't at times, but he, he definitely, definitely did. Um,
1: it, it's it's quite a sensitive issue, but do you get the feeling that there was mental issues there for him? I, at yeah, any stage? I...
0: I, I I, I think, I think, I think without a shadow of doubt, I mean, we're, we're far more open um, about it uh, these days and we'll, you know, we'll talk about it and, and it and it's great that footballers now will come out and talk, talk you know, talk about it and, and share their, their, their issues. And there's some great advocates for that now in the game. Back then you're talking, obviously, like we were talking, saying earlier, this is a lad that was born in 1952. He's grown up then. You've got obviously what went on during, during the, the war, this, this kind of height—it's like you've got to be tough, and you—you know—you get on and you get up, and which is why I had to grow up so quickly. It was, yeah. You forget about this. Go, you know, you've got a problem. Go down the pub, get out of your mind. Um, he obviously did other things as well. There, there, there definitely were. I mean, the the, the players at, at, at Cardiff um, talk about that and 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 talk about that that uh, openly. Um, Phil uh, Dwyer. Uh, said in his uh, autobiography that he he did he think looking back on it now he thinks that that, that Robin had that there was an interview that I think it was uh, Owen from the forty two did with Biller when the the, the keeper and he said that there was definitely something um, going on 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 mm-hmm. there with, without a shadow of a doubt you know
1: yeah it, it's sort of like George Best when you look at his career it in in many ways you look at the. The times that he have and had, and he was enjoying himself, and people he, he made people laugh. But often behind the scenes, it's a tragedy as opposed to a comedy, and that's sort of the feeling I get with Robin Friday as well. After he retires, what is his fate after that? Because I I, I want to continue the George Best uh, comparison, just because it is very yeah. similar. It is. Does he fall out of love completely with football? Does he fall out, go, go off the reels in terms of his personal life, or how does he react to his career coming to an end?
0: Without giving without giving too uh, without giving too much away in my in my second book, because there are things I, in in there that I found out that just aren't known about. Because obviously, going back to the book that was done in '97, that was 20 years afterwards, everyone's cool about what happened, but there were some very angry people um, at the time back in '77. Um, he, I I think looking back on his life, it would have been one of his great uh, regrets up there, Um, you know, because he could have done it. He could have achieved what he really set out to achieve. Um, He did turn his back on, on, on football. He tried to get back into it, but because of what he'd done to himself, you know, physically, I mean, because, of the way not just with what he'd done to to, to himself with, with with the drugs but also what he put him through himself through sort of physically what what that those drugs do to you to you physically but also in those games you know where people are kicking they'd kick him he'd kick back and um he he kind of i, I think it was his, his left knee he definitely had um, sort of injuries um that w- that will have affected him um, as well but he did he fell kind of out of out of love with 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 the game um and it's it's very sad i mean just i'm not i i won't won't spoil it for it for for anyone but what happened in in 77 at cardiff was kind of that as the, the old saying goes it put the tin hat on it it really did um, there were there were there were legal things that were going off um off the pitch and and that had a big impact um some of those are put in the book. Some I haven't. I've, mm. I've kind of held them them back. But um, yeah, there's what's known about him currently. It's it, it's different. It's different. And I, and I think what I've tried to to to, to do, Ender, is try to be honest about it all, um, about his footballing ability, but also about what was going on, um, because I think that's important. Um, I've tried to search for some sort of truth, um, you know.
1: Yeah. And that's always, that's always one of the more difficult ones is that people see the story of these superstars and these tragic figures and they just look at the facts and say, oh, he's an alcoholic or he did drugs, but rarely people look at why they did these things and what caused that and what the context is to that. And there's context to everything and I suppose you, you, you look more deeply into that in, in your book in terms of the, the, the books, where can people find them if they want to, if they want to get them or read them?
0: They can, they can go to Amazon and they're on there if they search Stuart Kane um, or if they just type in man Friday, the first half or man Friday, the second half, and they'll, they'll, they'll find them, um, it's I mean, it's really taken me on a journey. And I've I've had some I think when you when you when you look at somebody's life so deeply, and I really have, I've studied it for five years, I've given this everything, and I've got the guys that played with him or people that watched him or, or knew him say to me. You know, this is this is the real deal. This is all authentic. And when you have that from from people, I wasn't there, and I'm not a time traveler, but I've I've really you know kind of gone gone into this, and I've had some very strange things that have happened um, along along the way as as, as well. I, I about two and a half years in, I nearly gave up writing the book, and I just one day I decided that this was too much hard work, and uh, I work as a teacher as well. And I, and I thought, you know, I'm, I'm going to give this up on a Friday night. Felt very relieved. It was like a weight had been lifted. I was like, this is this is fantastic. And uh, I phoned a friend of mine. I said, you fancy a game of tennis tomorrow? We'll go and have a knock around. And uh, so we went and played tennis. I, I don't play very well. Came back. I'm on my bike and uh, feeling very relieved. I'm going to watch football. Focus at twelve o'clock. Going along. And, and down the road, I live in Birmingham, and down the road, there's a lad walking, and this is true, with an, over his shoulder, he's got a, a tennis a tennis racket, and uh, he's wearing a Reading football shirt, listening to music, slightly long hair. It wasn't obviously Robin Friday, but I was like, that's ridiculous. And I, I just shout, I just said, hey, Robin Friday. And he goes, yeah, Robin Friday. And I, and I got back and I thought that I I took that as a message, not, not to give up. And it, you know, it's been a journey. It's been great. You know, Um, I found out some, some things since I've, I've, I've written it, but it's all, it all lines up with, 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 with what I've written. So, you know, it's, it's been a search for the, for, for, for the truth and a different way of, 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 I think, looking at at the story. There's a lot of humor in there. So it's not just the the darkness. It's, Mm -hmm. it's about his humor. It's about his brilliant football ability. It's about people like Eamon Dunphy and Charlie, charlie hurley so um you know if people enjoyed the damned united i think they'd very much uh, enjoy this book um
1: well sure kane author of man friday thanks for joining me today best luck with the book
0: thank you very much ender
1: team 33 this is
0: otb sports radio
1: welcome back so that is all we have time for on team 33 this evening as ever thanks to you for listening and if you missed any of that chat you can find it in the otb podcast network just search team 33 you can subscribe there and get notified every time there's a new episode live It's all also available on the youtube channel as well youtube.com forward slash off the ball the chat about robin friday And the chat with Ed Irons earlier on in the show is also up there as well. If you want to listen back to all of that, you can get them in the usual places. We'll be back again same time, same place next week. But until then, take away Johan. (laughs)